I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, we are coming into the uh, the third week of Lent. Uh, Lent is a, an extended period of time where we examine our own lives, examine our consciences, and prepare ourselves to go through the passion, to live through that, that dark time in history where the Lord of life himself offered himself as a sacrifice so that you and I could be put back into relationship with God the Father. But the passion is only the first step. We examine our lives so that we can go through the passion fruitfully for the sake of the resurrection. And the resurrection is there for the sake of us actually living out that relationship, that reconciliation with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, all of these things are not for themselves. They are pointing to something greater, and they're calling us up to something greater for us to practice self-mastery, for us to give up things for Lent, to, to go through the pillars and the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving for the sake of that relationship that we grow in as we come to, to walk in communion with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, as, uh, as Peter said, St. Peter said in the book of Second Peter, so that we could become sharers in the divine nature, that God has done more than simply reconciled us in our, uh, in our spirits so that we can have a conversation with God, but rather so that we could commune with God, so that we could have the life of God within us, so that we could be adopted by God into his family and made co-heirs with Christ. I mean, this is, this is mind-blowing big stuff, and we're invited into it through the work of Christ. And so the reason that we do Lent uh, on top of a number of other aspects of it, we do Lent to clear away um, the fog for us to pay attention to what really matters. Uh, you know, there, <clears throat> there was a time in my life where I did a fairly significant fast. Uh, it was before I was Catholic, and it was a, a more than your typical person would do, more than your typical Protestant would do, more than definitely than your typical Catholic would do. And um, it was an interesting experience because uh, the body comes to realize after a certain amount of time that you don't really need food the way you think you do. Somewhere around day seven of not eating, uh, there's this primal urge that tells your brain, tells your body, if you don't eat, you're going to die. And it's it feels like a true death. And in this way, we die to ourself, right? We say, oh, uh, I'm going to exert my will over and above this rational man inside that's, that's really commanding me to do what it wants to do. Uh, and once I got past that, once I got past day seven, there was um, not really, that desire was dead. It, it really felt at that moment, like I had uh, the will, at least at that point, the, uh, the the bossy nature of my appetites had died. And from that point in time, there was a point where I decided that the fast was over and I needed to eat, and I did. 
but the the craving for food and the the you know being demanded by myself to do something that that was gone by the wayside um and there wasn't really an experience of of hunger in any real substantial sense after that seventh day and so this is what we do is we through lent through giving something up and through specifically something that our appetites clamor for uh, we are telling ourselves, you know, I don't need that thing as badly as I think I do. I don't need that. That thing does not need to have such a prominent place in my life. And we exercise that self-mastery. And it also, it gives us just a really clear perspective of the things that are actually needful. What do I really need to survive? What do I need to have what do I need to participate in? What are the activities I need to, to be a part of? Um, and in what things do I just think I need, right? And so as we do this, as we um, subject our appetites to the will of the Father, as we subject our desires to the will of God, then something miraculous happens. We begin to see things in clear priority. We begin to see that what we really need more than anything is union with God by the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Lent is over, we can begin to reintroduce some of those things into our life as long as they are uh, holy and they're not unhealthy or unhelpful to us. Uh, and, and they gain a proper perspective. Now we can enjoy uh, the chocolate or whatever it is that you gave up. Uh, for me, it's, it's screen time. Uh, whatever you give up, you can begin to enjoy it in its proper place, rightly ordered in the, the list of priorities, and it no longer has such a, a stranglehold on our appetites. It no longer has such a, a strong pull in our desires. And we're going to explore this a little bit more fully today in, from a number of different angles. First of all, we're going to look at this season of Lent, at the things that we give up, and we're going to explore why we give things up and maybe the proper way to give things up and the proper things that, uh, that would be beneficial to us to give up for Lent. Of course, I'm not going to point out any specifics, but, but just kinds and, and um, categories of things that are beneficial for us to surrender to God during this time of Lent. And then we're also going to look at a curious thing throughout this season of Lent, and those are the solemnities that pop up and call for us not to fast, but to feast. We're going to be having a conversation with our good friend, Bo Bonner. He'll be with us right after this break. He's the, the co-host of The Uncommon Good on Iowa Catholic Radio and uh, Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. He's also the uh, director of the Zeta Institute. We're going to talk about the Annunciation, that solemnity coming up on a Monday. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. There's much more to come right after this break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And uh, this, here we are right in the middle of the season of Lent, but uh, this last Tuesday, we experienced something a little bit different. We had the Feast of St. Joseph on the 19th. If you happen to make it to Daily Mass, you might have noticed that things were a little bit different. We had an extra reading at my parish. We had music. There was uh, something outside of the character of what we normally experience in a daily mass, and that's because the the Feast of St. Joseph is no mere feast. It is a solemnity. Uh, we got another one of those coming up on Monday as we will celebrate the Solemnity of the Annunciation. And to talk a little bit about the place of a solemnity and the reasons for a solemnity, specifically in the context of Lent, we're joined today by my good friend Bo Bonner, uh, who's the director of the Zeta Institute, the director of mission and ministry at Mercy College in Des Moines, Iowa, and also uh, a fellow radio guy, co-host of The Uncommon Good, heard on the same stations we are, out in Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines and Central Iowa and all across this fair state of Oklahoma. Bo, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for asking me back on. It's always a pleasure to do so. I remember the the uh, the first time that, uh, or I, mean, I guess it was the second time where we had the opportunity to actually sit down face to face. And I get so few of those face to face interviews. It's always a fun thing uh, to be in the presence of radio greatness. And of course, I'm referring in my presence in in being in your presence, and not, oh, right. the, not the other way around. <laughs> it's so good. good to be with you, the the commiserate uh, professional. Well, I mean. Uh what was great is at that point it worked out because you were, I, I was in uh, Oklahoma for Christmas and it was, uh, it, it was crazy how close we were uh, just to drive down and uh, make that work out. So uh, when God plots uh, the big map of uh, our travels and it works out that way, it, it's always a nice Christmas gift to make that work out. And this is how shameless I am. I'm like, man, I, I can't wait to sit down. We need to, to share a drink together to visit. And Oh, by the way, while you're here, why don't we, why don't we do a show? <laughs> yeah, well, I just think that you're efficient, right? You know, two for one. You, you pull that off whenever you get the chance. <laughs> that, that's right. So let's talk. Here we are in the middle of this, this solemn season of Lent. And whenever we think of solemn, we tend to think of, of Lent, right? The somber and maybe a little bit more reserved and quiet. Uh, but then we hear the term solemnity, which seems to come from that same root word, and they seem to be anything but. So take us through the place of these solemnities within the season of Lent. You know, it's I, even just thinking about it even more focused, like the, the month of March has both universal solemnities for everybody to celebrate, but then also very specific one for groups of people. Uh, we, of course, have, like you said, St. Joseph, uh, universal solemnity. Uh, and then March 25th is the Annunciation that's coming up. Everybody knows about St. Patrick's Day, in which maybe uh, Americans uh, kind of ruin the spirit of completely. But needless to say, in Ireland, that as well is a, is a solemnity for them. Uh, and then I think of the monks, right? So Benedictine monks who are supposed to live a life of solemnity and their character of Lent. Lent is a very important season for them. But they, too, have a reprieve on March 21st, which is the traditional day. Uh, for St. Benedict's feast uh, for, for his death. So you look into the month, month of March, and if, there's, if there is a month that is going to take the brunt of Lent, no matter where Easter happens, it's always going to be the month of March. I know this because my wife's birthday is March 11th, and she can never not have a birthday on Lent. Yeah. <laughs> she reminds me of that. Um, but I, I think that this starts to show the character that Lent is not simply like training for a marathon, um, it's not merely uh, 
spiritual gymnastics through trying to, you know, feast harder than everyone else or give up more things like this. Um, just like you, you think about like uh, Advent candles or, you know, we, we do the same thing with Lent. Like one of those Sundays is always, you know, pink got out or, you know, tries to remind us, right, that like in the midst of uh, austerity, we always have to remember joy. I think this is the Catholic Church's way to take our Lord's word to heart, that when we fast, anoint your head with oil, right? Clean your face. Uh, do it. Let it be in secret so that your Father in heaven knows that it's in secret, that in the midst of all of this, the real reason is for our ultimate happiness and joy. And it's not just a matter of God chose the time of year to make us all feel bad, for instance, or uh, to try to outdo each other and show some of us are, are are better at fasting than others. And I think that it's really important to think that the church provides this in the calendar. Uh, and, and like I said, in March, it really does seem like there's some feasts that are supposed to give us a bit of a break uh, in the middle of our austerities that we've taken on in Lent. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Bo Bonner, who is the co-host of The Uncommon Good, heard on Iowa Catholic Radio and Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting. And Bo, this reminds me of, uh, of a story from my own life. So a, a few years ago, I had this grand idea that I was going to give up coffee for Lent because I, I drink a lot of coffee, and that was going to be a worthy sacrifice. And probably about a weekend, uh, my wife told me that it was supposed to be my penance and not theirs, and that I should drink coffee right. again. And so you talk about Lent is not this marathon to see how much we can pile on ourselves. I think a lot of times we really feel as though our penance ought to be uh, painful. And yet the whole purpose of the penance is for us to grow in virtue and to grow in love, not merely uh, to white knuckle our way through the season and say, look how good I did. The whole purpose is to recognize our own weakness and to rely on the spirit, which should be a fast that brings us joy. Because as we're fasting, we are depending on and leaning into the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the strengthening, the fortitude of the Holy Spirit uh, that that makes us closer to God, that puts us in, in really more of a, a peaceful, maybe a more celebratory place, because what better thing is there to celebrate than being intimate with God the Father? Yeah, I mean, not everybody has uh, this capacity, but um, when people, when Lent starts, everyone starts, what were you going to give up? Uh, how should you decide what to give up? And I always like to point out that maybe the decision part is what we should give up. The, the monks are very uh, specific that when they give up something for Lent or they take on a discipline or a reading, that it's either given by the abbot or someone else. Um, I think about your story with, you know, with your talking to your wife, right, is that for us that are married, um, that's something that maybe we take on that they suggest, or if we have friends, I know we have a group of friends who have a book club and we assign books to each other, right? You don't get to choose your book. They do it for you. And I think this starts to be important, right? Because the real death, as it were, that we're trying to seek is not that, you know, you, you do get rid of your diabetes through not eating candy throughout Lent. Uh, the death is the death of, of pride, the death of your will, right? The sacrifice of choosing for yourself and, and imitating our Lord, right? Who did the will of his father by coming here on earth. And so what starts to be interesting, right, is 
it seems very interesting and, and strange to us to choose to celebrate at the behest of someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're when we're giving ourselves uh, a, 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 a free ride or a free pass, or when we're treating ourselves, and I'm, I'm not saying that's always evil or anything like right. that, but that starts to be very different than someone saying, you're going to celebrate today. And I don't know, that, that starts to be this interesting insight into the paradox, it seems to me, of Catholic uh, spirituality, that we begin to be given back our ability to celebrate and have joy and not through our own industry or creating of it. Like joy gets to be a gift again this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you mentioned the whole picking someone else's penance. We do that with our kids. We tell them, okay, you're going to give up uh, candy and sweets and, and whatever else this Lent. And then you get to pick something on top of that if you so desire. And I love that idea when I'm dealing with my children, I hate the whole a possibility of that idea when it, when it comes to the idea of my wife picking my penance. I, I don't like that idea at all. And yet it, by that very virtue of it, it seems that that would probably be a good thing for me. Right. And I mean, I, I'm sure that very much we should say like abuses can be multiplied right. this way. I'm sure. Right. Like, or, or, you know, like you could have just a very vindictive friend who just likes to make your life miserable. Then maybe you should really consider whether that person's yeah. your friend. Well, or not. And, and I, I think in general, the idea is um, we learn to gift. Even our, our difficulties can start to be gifts to each other about how we're going to grow uh, through these penances. Yeah. You know, we have a kind of a, a Benedictine household. We read the rule of St. Benedict as a family, and, and it, the rules of the monastery really kind of fit very well uh, with some modifications to the rules of a household. And so, you know, as the, the abbot picks your penance, as, as it were, um, you're not going to just hand it out to some random person and say, hey, pick my penance you're going to go to someone with whom you have an intimate relationship. And so if you're in a relationship that, that tends toward uh, maybe a bit of abuse, whether that be a marriage relationship or a friend relationship, yeah, you probably shouldn't choose them to be the person who gives you your penance, right? You're looking for someone who loves you and wants to help you grow and not someone who just wants to kind of stick it to you. Right. And you know, that, that starts to be the, the person who not for everybody, for many people, the person who's most liable to to abuse you is is yourself in both ways, right? Like, so it's quite possible that um, very deep seated, uh, not necessarily self hatred, but self antagonism that you start to try to take it out on yourself uh, with one, one of the penances you choose, or you know uh, the, the the sort of softness that uh, you sort of take it easy on yourself, and um, you know we can be very uh, crafty in our ability to deceive ourselves. It's very easy for us to pull off something that to the outside world looks really hard, but we know isn't anything at all for us and very easy to do. Whereas there's a penance out there that maybe the rest of the the outside world would go, well, that's not that big of a deal. But for someone who loves you, that might be exactly what you need this Lent. Um, So that's, you know, part of the reason that like we start to say that to die to the will. but then there's even the dying of the will to like learning to celebrate with the church. And so I think that that's very interesting that St. Joseph, right. Gets to be the, the good father that, that gives us that reprieve, you know, through the middle of Lent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To say, Hey, 
the, there is an important thing of examining ourselves and, and exercising some self-mastery, but at the same time, all of this is for Christ and all of this is for our redemption. And so having him invite us into, even silently as he always has, uh, inviting us into that mystery and that celebration, even in the midst of solemnity. Yeah, and if you think about, again, those four feasts that I brought up, either universally for the church or particular people, it's either three father figures, St. Joseph, uh, St. Benedict, uh, you know, father of monks, St. Patrick, father of the Irish people, and then, of course, the Annunciation, which is uh, our mother, right? So that it's, it's by these very sort of familial um, feasts that, that we get these reprieves. Always the reminder, right, that you are not being thrown into the desert um, as sort of uh, punishment by overlords and masters, but the church uh, in its motherly and fatherly role um, is trying to raise you up to be the children of the Lord that she knows you can be. Yeah. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, director of the Zeta Institute, director of mission and ministry at Mercy College in Des Moines, Iowa, and co-host of The Uncommon Good, heard right here on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network and on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're talking about Lent and specifically uh, about our penances, but also about the solemnities. When we come back, we're going to be talking more in depth specifically about the solemnity of the Annunciation coming up this uh, coming Monday. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and today uh, we are anticipating the Annunciation, the solemnity of the Annunciation, where our Lenten feast takes a break. Um, This is our opportunity to have a little bit of celebration. You should, even if you have given up chocolate for Lent or given up dessert for Lent, uh, specifically if you have kids, you should have dessert on on Monday because this is a, a time that the church says, hey, this is worth celebrating. We celebrate it in a specific way liturgically, but you should also take the time to celebrate it in a specific way within your home. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, who's the director, the director of the Zeta Institute and the director of mission and ministry at Mercy College, co-host of The Uncommon Good, a great radio program that you can hear right here on this station. Uh, heard on the same stations that we are all across the great state of Oklahoma and in central Iowa. Bo, thanks for joining us again today. Of course. Thank you again for asking me to come back and talk about um, such wonderful occasions uh, to uh, talk about with you to everybody else. All right. So uh, there's this picture that I absolutely love. I've got it hanging in my house, uh, painted by Henry Osawa Tanner. Uh, it's oh, ca- yeah. called The Annunciation, and you have this demure um Middle Eastern looking girl sitting on the edge of the bed, curiously with her head cocked, looking toward this beam of light uh, that is the way that the the artist uh, really represents the the messenger Gabriel, this angel that is incorporeal and yet somehow is able to con- convey this message of hope uh, to the young Mary. Oh, yeah, that. 
So that's one of my favorite uh, paintings of the Annunciation. But weirdly enough, just to make the connection, um, the, the city of Des Moines has an art gallery that's free. And another one of his paintings, that Tanner's paintings that I think is fantastic, Jesus Walking on the Water, mm-hmm. happens to be in the connect the collection. So I feel a special connection um, to him as a painter, uh, one of the great um, African-American painters of America to be celebrated. Everybody should go look at his work. What I love about that painting, um, you know, one of the things that you always know is great about a great feast is when people can render it artistically so many different ways and so from the gamut of his point right about the intimacy and the sort of uh the the sort of starkness of what is being asked of this young girl to the sort of uh celestial heights of of you know royal features that um some of the medieval painters would would paint everything in between the annunciation really does start to play a place in the Christian calendar that I think sometimes uh, we lose sight of um, in in the modern West, because it is um, in many ways the the beginning of Christian history. So one of the jokes I would tell you is people should run around uh, on March 25th telling everybody Happy New Year. Now, why? Yeah, because everybody, because in Europe, many cities used to celebrate March 25th is the beginning of the new year. It actually used to be a sort of debate. You could either um, think of New Year on, as Circumcision Day, so January 1st, um, or Lady Day, and that would be May, uh, March 25th. And so you kind of had a divide between does the new year start January 1st with the cir- circumcision of Christ and the first blood he shed for us, um, or is it the Annunciation on March 25th, the great fiat, the yes of Mary to begin history again? And, um, you know, the fact that it was spring and sort of like this is the springtime of, of world history, the springtime of our faith matched by uh, the spring of the new year. That's one reason, for instance, why people long in Europe chose March 25th as the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's also this uh, this picture that we have of creation beginning again, the new creation starting with the Annunciation, because we have... Um, in the book of Genesis, you have that the Holy Spirit hovered over the deep. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, uh, and and that was the beginning of creation. And here in the uh, in the fiat with the Annunciation, you have the Holy Spirit overshadowing, hovering over Mary. And this word for uh, for hover, uh, overshadowing is very similar uh, to the the language used for the Shekinah glory of God, where the glory of God hovered over the Ark of the Covenant. And so here you have the Holy Spirit initiating new creation by hovering over Mary, where he hovered over the waters in the Old Testament. Then you also have this whole picture of Eve in the first creation, uh, going her own way and going against the will of God. And you have here in the New Testament this new Eve who is... uh, really resisting the temptation that came to to Eve and and triumphing it with the power of God. And so we have this fiat, this, yes, I will do what you will instead of what I will, uh, kind of inaugurating the beginning of, of all things that are made new. And I think what starts to be interesting with all that, right, is like apropos to what we were talking about before the break, um, the Annunciation is both a feast that gets to the heart of what we're supposed to get at in Lent, um, but also the heart of what is truly solemn and celebratory about our faith. So Mary says, let thy will be done, according to your word, right? The, the, 
how how much what's a better way to talk about the the submitting our will to someone else that Lent is supposed to get at than this that Mary whatever else it might have been that she thought her life was going to be like and at the behest of God lays down her will as a free offering a whole burnt uh, sacrifice to the will of God and in in many ways you can't you can't wrap your mind around Lent better than imitating Mary in the Annunciation. But then on the other hand, um, truly what a joyous event, right? That, that humanity um, through its mother, its new mother, Mary the new Eve, uh, that this is even possible, right? Like what, what, what a better occasion to, you know, take a celebratory drink or to eat cake or to be with your loved ones than to say, we got that chance. And that with Mary, uh, we are we are worthy of being redeemed. And so both at the same time, I think this feast really demonstrates the dual nature of what we're talking about. You know, I think oftentimes, um, even we Catholics, we, we don't fully understand the nuance of what Mary represents. We think of Mary as, well, she's the mother of God, she's the mother of Jesus, and uh, and she is, you know, uh, we pray to her, we ask for her intercession, she's there for us, but we don't look at, I think, the spiritual significance that goes layer upon layer of nuance where she's tied to the Old Testament, where she is, uh, in, in many ways, the undoing of the knots that we ourselves tied in the Old Testament by our disobedience. Her obedience opens the way for us to get out of our disobedience. Yeah, as a convert, you know, there, there's many moments where, I mean, you just hear this among converts about like where Mary played a role or how they negotiated uh, devotion to Mary when they weren't raised with it. And for me, I have uh, St. Irenaeus to really thank for this because when he put, you know, when he talks about Mary as the new Eve, um, that really is where any sort of hangups I had with Mary and devotion completely fell away. And it's precisely because of what you're talking about. Um, I really wanted to hear, I really wanted a Christian faith that dealt with the Old Testament well. I had kind of got to the point in my life where I felt a creeping uh, Marcionitism in a lot of the Christianity that I had run into. And one thing I have to give to my Southern Baptist uprising in Oklahoma, at least the type I was in, the non-fundamentalist type, is they really cared about the Old Testament. I mean, we, we knew those stories. And so when I hear Irenaeus bring that up and bring that home about the Eve and the new Eve, um, that really that really set me on the path to converting. Now let's talk, you, you brought up Marcionism, you brought up Marcionite, and for those who don't know, give us a really quick short rundown of what that means. Oh, right. So, excuse me, Marcionite is a very early figure in the early church who basically wants to say that everything about the Old Testament is uh, evil and everything about the New Testament is good. He famously chops the Bible, uh, like nearly nine-tenths of it out, only reserves some of the Gospels and parts of St. Paul. Uh, and, and some of his followers, in fact, say that the Old uh, Testament is actually that God is a demiurge, not even really a God, a sort of like a demon or demigod, and that the true God um, is only anything to do with the Spirit, and all things flesh are bad. And so I, I just see sometimes people going down that road, uh, disassociating the New Testament with its roots in the old. 
Yeah. And of course, we've talked the last couple of weeks uh, on the show with with people who are connecting the Old Testament to the New and helping us unpack the fact that, the, as the, the Father said, the Old Testament is revealed in the New and the New Testament is hidden in the Old. And all of the stories that are there and the true histories that are there in the Old Testament are there to reveal to us something important about God. And Mary, specifically, uh, there is so much about uh, about her enunciation, about the words that are used, about the language of her visitation to, to Elizabeth that directly mirror something in the Old Testament. So immediately after the Annunciation, of course, we have uh, she rises up and goes to the hill country where she stays for three months, which is the language of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, where uh, David rose up and went to the hill country where the Ark rested for three months, right? Right. Uh, so we have this this correlation that obviously the author of the New Testament wanted us to understand something about that connection uh, because it says something to us. Otherwise, they would have used different language. Yeah, I think, um, what, you know, there's a way in which you start to say the, 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 the literary art it would take to make all of the... Uh, <laughs> the pointing that goes on from the new Testament to the old, it would either have to be someone who was like 14 Shakespeare's and Dante's all brought together, or maybe God meant to do it. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of the things, the more you learn about how um, even just what Mary was doing and signified and how she chose to do things to Joseph, to the, to the characters that show up to John the Baptist, um, either the new Testament writer is the most brilliant well-versed person in disparate literature who put all of these analogies and typologies together, or it's just simply true and that God had been prophesizing these things from long ago. The other thing about Mary in this moment in the Annunciation is this is not, she, this is not her first experience with uh, devotion to God, right? Right. That kind of a fiat, that kind of a complete submission to the divine will of God doesn't just happen. There has to be some relationship with God and some understanding of God and some devotion of, of God that precedes it. And so for us, that's one of our practices of Lent is to put ourselves in the place where we're in communion with God so that when God comes to us, not if, when God comes to us to ask us to participate in his mission, that we will be ready to say, let it be done to me according to your will. Yeah, one way to think about this, right, is uh, we prepare soil uh, so that when the seed falls into it, it's ready to sprout and grow roots. And uh, Lent is exactly that sort of gardener motif, right? We're all ready for spring, uh, so let's get the garden of our soul ready for spring so that uh, truly when the grace of Christ comes, it can bloom in our hearts. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, director of the Zeta Institute. Go take a look at them online. We'll put a link on our social media, uh, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. He's also the, coast, the co-host of The Uncommon Good. You can find them on Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting and Iowa Catholic Radio. There's much more to come right after this as we explore the Annunciation, what the scripture says about it, what church fathers have said about it, There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, DL. We've been talking today with Bo Bonner. He is the uh, the co-host of the radio show, The Uncommon Good, together with Bud Marr. They, uh, they have that show on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network. I want to encourage you to take a listen to it. Um, we've been talking specifically about fasting, about the, uh, the season of Lent and our penance, but also about the feasting that goes on during Lent uh, on the solemnities. And he, of course, mentioned a few of them. The one that's coming up on Monday is the Feast of the Annunciation, where the angel came. And, well, we'll actually read that here in a little bit as we approach our reading from Scripture and then look at, maybe unpack that a little bit in our reading from church history, reading from Pope St. Leo the Great coming up here in just a minute. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. All of our episodes, including this one, are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. If you've never been, today is the perfect day to go. Uh, Normally, we have an extra segment available to all of those who support the show through Patreon, and we have a whole archive of just those segments Uh, waiting for those who are interested in joining up and helping support the show, keep the show on the air through their generous gift. As small as $5 a month gets you access to all of those extra segments. But this week we're doing a a very special thing. We do this from time to time. And we're giving that segment away to everyone. Uh, Bud and I talk about almsgiving, specifically in regards to the flooding that has gone on, the historic flooding uh, that's happening in the Missouri River Valley uh, around uh, Nebraska. So that's a that's a thing that I want you to go and take a look at, take a listen to, get a sense for what our extra segments look like. This one's a little bit shorter than we normally go, but it's still well worth your time to go and listen to that extra segment with Bo Bonner. You can get there by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Up in the, uh, the top right-hand corner there, there's a link that says Support the Show uh, with the subtitle Patreon. You click that link, it takes you over to our Patreon page. From there, you can uh, you can take a look at all that is offered and um, listen to this week's episode. There are a couple of other ones, a couple of other little extra segments that I've given away over time. And if you like what you hear and you want to help us keep this show on the air and going for years to come, then consider giving a, a small gift, a monthly gift of $5 a month. You get four to five extra segments a month, so it's money well spent. Uh, I like to think so. Join the numbers of those who are already supporting us and be a part of that community. Now, let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. As today we've been talking about the Annunciation, the solemnity that's coming up on Monday, I bet you might be able to guess what we're going to read today. We're going to read the the story, the telling, the narration out of the, the Gospel of Luke about this event. And there's lots of details, and anytime an an author, a biblical writer, includes a detail, it's important. We may not completely understand why, but that gives us uh, maybe a clue to begin looking and digging in. One of my favorite tools to do that with, to dig in and look more deeply, is uh, the program Verbum. You can find that at verbum.com, V-E-R-B-U-M, and uh, it's a wonderful resource that allows you to, to study the Scripture. That's an online 
library, but more than just the library, everything's cross-referenced. So you can do word studies uh, and more. And that's really appropriate here as we're looking at this reading, because as we talked about early in the show, there's so much nuance and so many things in this story that are anchored back to something in the Old Testament. Uh, We had a conversation probably about three years ago now on this this week on the Annunciation, uh, talking with one of the uh, the program directors uh, at Verbum at the time, and he kind of takes us through what they're able to do and what they what that program runs. It's still my go-to source as I do show prep, uh, and I encourage you to take a look at it. There's lots of options available there at Verbum.com. But for today, you and I, let's take a look at this reading. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. That reading comes from the Gospel of St. Luke. There's so much here, but if you strip it all down to its bare essential, the most important thing is Mary's response May it be done to me according to your word. This one is the one for you and I to emulate as we progress through this Lenten season, as we celebrate the Annunciation on Monday. Let it be done to me according to your word. And of course, Jesus is Mary's son. And I'm sure that as much as his divine nature had a part in this, his being the son of Mary also had something to do with him in the garden saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Our reading from church history today comes from a letter by St. Leo the Great and explores this interplay between Christ's divine nature and his human nature. Lowliness is assured by majesty, weakness by power, mortality by eternity. To pay the debt of our sinful state, a nature that was incapable of suffering was joined to one that could suffer. Thus, in keeping with the healing that we needed, 
one and the same mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, was able to die in one nature and unable to die in the other. He who is true God was therefore born in the complete and perfect nature of a true man, whole in his own nature, whole in ours. By our nature, we mean what the Creator had fashioned in us from the beginning and took to himself in order to restore it. For in the Savior there was no trace of what the deceiver introduced and man, being misled, allowed to enter. It does not follow that because he submitted to sharing in our human weakness, he therefore shared in our sins. He took the nature of a servant without the stain of sin, enlarging our humanity without diminishing his divinity. He emptied himself. Though invisible, he made himself visible. Though creator and Lord of all things, he chose to be one of us mortal men. Yet this was the condescension of compassion, not the loss of omnipotence. So he who in the nature of God had created man became in the nature of a servant, man himself. Thus the Son of God enters this lowly world. He comes down from the throne of heaven, yet does not separate himself from the Father's glory. He is born in a new condition by a new birth. He was born in a new condition, for invisible in his own nature, he became visible in ours. Beyond our grasp, he chose to come within our grasp. Existing before time began, he began to exist at a moment in time. Lord of the universe, he hid his infinite glory and took the nature of a servant. Incapable of suffering as God, he did not refuse to be a man capable of suffering. Immortal, he chose to be subject to the laws of death. He who is true God is also true man. There is no falsehood in this unity as long as the lowliness of man and the preeminence of God coexist in mutual relationship. And God does not change by his condescension, so man is not swallowed up by being exalted. Each nature exercises its own activity in communion with the other. The word does what is proper to the word. The flesh fulfills what is proper to the flesh. One nature is resplendent with miracles, the other falls victim to injuries. As the world does not lose equality with the Father's glory, so the flesh does not leave behind the nature of our race. One and the same person, this must be said over and over again, is truly the Son of God and truly the Son of Man. He is God in virtue of the fact that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is man in virtue of the fact that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's all the time we have for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Ronald Moxley and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link for the free extra segment this week, and then join their numbers to get access to all the other ones in the past and in the future. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 